Hi, this is Polly with another episode of Conversations with Psychics, podcasts to help us find out what psychics do, how they do it and why. Join me in discovering that they are everyday people who do extraordinary things. Hi everyone, in this episode I'm talking with Victoria Shaw about intuition. Victoria is an intuitive counsellor who helps people develop their own intuitive skills and the ability to recognise the call of their own soul. We talked about where intuition comes from and how to discern it from wishful thinking. Victoria is utterly fascinating with very helpful perspectives on the likes of karma, the fact that it's not a punishment and even the Covid virus. When we spoke, it was really interesting for me to realise she was actually receiving intuitive information to answer some of the questions. And when this happened, the rhythm of her speech slightly changed. Very interesting to witness. We chatted over Skype, so apologies for the odd wonky sound patch. Anyway, dive in and listen because she is profoundly instructive and helpful and also great fun. Hello, welcome. We're going to talk all about you and what you do. If you can just introduce yourself, that would be Perfect. a good place to start. All right. I'm an intuitive counselor and coach, and I combine my training in counseling and psychology with my intuitive gifts. I think everyone really who does any kind of helping work is using their intuition. But for me, it's um, really explicit. It was really a calling because when I started to tap into my inner wisdom, that sort of guided me into doing the work that I do now. And everything in my life is informed by that and by my connection with my inner guidance. So what did you do before? Were you a psychologist before? So yeah, I have an interesting story. My entire life, I've been fascinated by the brain, by the mind, by questions like what is consciousness? I was a psychology and philosophy major in uh, college and then pursued a PhD in psychology after college and was doing research. And although I loved the questions, I was studying reasoning and memory and fascinating stuff. But what I found personally was I didn't like doing research. It was very reductionistic and it was like all the big questions were out there. But when you're doing research, you had to ask really sort of tiny questions, which I'm all for science and it works for other people. But for me, it just did not speak to my soul. And so I took time off and I wrote some self-help books for teens and preteens and I raised my own family. And then we made a move from New York City to Connecticut. So the pace of life kind of slowed down for me. And I really felt this call that there was something I was supposed to be doing and I wasn't doing it. I deepened my meditation practice. And as I did that, I started to recognize that I had these intuitive gifts, that I'd had them my whole life and just hadn't really um, you know, tuned into it or been conscious of it or really been you know, using it, but they'd always been there. Um, and I would know things about people that I shouldn't know. And people would say, you're so insightful for like a seven-year-old. But it was just, it's the intuition. You know, had intuitions about people, about things. I didn't really know what it was. But I remember in high school, I wrote a paper about a couple papers that my professors, my teachers really liked. And one was about Dante and the other was about Franz Kafka. And I look back and I realize I was just reading their energy. Like, but I didn't really consciously, I didn't, you know, have words for it. I mean, I grew up in a family that, although, you know, science, intellect was the main thing, and I was really, you know, encouraged, let's just put it that way, to be a high achiever, which I was, Ivy League, the whole thing. Um, but also, like, you know, throughout my childhood, my mom went to psychics and things like that. So it wasn't like a totally crazy, uh, you know, it was something that was sort of 
in the periphery for me. Um, I didn't think about it a lot. I also knew I was an empath. So I knew I felt other people's feelings. And that was something that was sort of discussed in my family. But again, without a real healthy framework, I just, it was just a thing that we kind of knew, but I didn't really understand it from a greater spiritual perspective. At what point you made the jump from, if you like, normal world? I had this burgeoning feeling in me again that there was something I was supposed to be doing. I didn't want to go back and be a, a research psychologist. You know, I felt like I got to be doing something. I love being a mom, but there was something else that I was supposed to be doing. And, and finally, the call got loud enough that I listened. And, um, you know, as soon as I opened the door and started listening, all the information came through. And then it was just about learning to listen to my intuition, learning that I wasn't going crazy. Because a lot of times when you, when you go from a very left brain way of looking at things to this more intuitive, spiritually based way of looking at things, you, you, and you're talking to spirit guides and you can think, well, maybe I'm just insane. I felt a real calling to develop those and then use them to be of service to others. And so as my intuition developed and I realized the kinds of gifts that were coming through and because I was already a psychologist, so I already had like one foot in that uh, more um, mainstream way of, of looking and doing things, I decided a really cool thing would be to go back and get my master's of counseling so that I could take all this great intuitive guidance that was coming through and ground it in something, you know, that people understood. And so my work blends those two things. How would you describe intuition to somebody? So intuition looks different for everyone because we're all unique beings, but everyone has had an experience in their lives where they knew something or they felt like a gut feeling about something that they couldn't explain with their rational, logical minds, but turned out to be 100% correct. And that's the intuitive experience. And, and we experience our intuition in many different ways. So a lot of people will feel body sensations like the chills or gut feeling or, you know, um, my favorite story that I tell all the time is I had a client that whenever she was about to do something that didn't really like serve, that wasn't really a good choice, but, you know, she was starting to make a choice that wasn't the right one. She would get this feeling like she was wearing an itchy sweater. And she learned over time, if I get that itchy, icky, prickly sweater feeling, that means that I shouldn't be doing that thing. So that's the way a lot of times we experience our intuition that way. Other people just know stuff. So another example for my life was when I was pregnant with my first child, I knew she was a girl. I just knew when the ultrasound technician did that ultrasound to reveal the sex, I asked him without thinking, what sex is she? And he looked at me like, what? And then I realized what I'd said. And in fact, she is a girl. So we all have, you know, it's that sense of knowing where it's not what you want. It's not wishful thinking. It's just, you just know. So th those are two of the ways that intuition presents. But I look at intuition as, again, that nonlinear logical way of knowing. I always think of my intuition as coming from spirit, coming from my higher self. You don't have to take that spiritual perspective for it to work. I'm sure we'll come up with scientific explanations as well. And but for me, that's how it makes sense. And um, yeah, I think of your intuition as your direct line to your soul. And because I think that we're all spiritual beings in physical form, everyone's got it. And it's just a matter of how you tap into your own unique inner wisdom. So you'd say it's coming from yourself. It's not coming from your guides. It could be coming from guides. I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's just one thing. Um, and so everything comes from there. There's one spiritual source, if you want to say, or if you're comfortable with the word God, you know, whatever floats your boat or higher self, all of those things work. But absolutely, I tap into spirit guides as well. Spirit guides, in my understanding, are uh, spiritual entities that are not in physical form. 
um, but they're here to support those of us who are in physical form because what happens when you take on a body as a spirit is that you have amnesia. So you forget a lot of the great spiritual wisdom that you have when you come to earth, you lose that and you, you become confused. And some people, most people don't even recognize their spiritual origins, right? They just think I'm just a human being and they don't understand or think of themselves as a human being in spiritual form. So our spirit guides are here to guide us on our journey because they don't have amnesia. They remember all the plans we set in place before we came into our lifetimes and they hold that broader perspective for us. So yeah, I do think a lot of times that information comes from spirit guides. Um, personally, when I work, sometimes I make that differentiation and other times I just ask for the highest wisdom and guidance. And I think that in life too, it's fine to um, just ask for your highest wisdom to come through. And then, you know, wherever it comes from, it'll, it'll, it'll work and it'll be good. And you'll learn to discern, you know, what really resonates with you and what's really that higher calling inner wisdom and what's just your mind. That's a really good point because for example, I don't know my guides at all. Then what you're saying is it doesn't really matter. Absolutely. And some people like to sort of, you know, personalize their guides and I've taken classes and workshops and I've taught classes and workshops over the years too about um, getting to know your spirit guides and what are their names and what are their personalities and what is each one here to do and that's fun if that if that um, is something that you enjoy by all means do it but yeah it's not necessary it, it doesn't matter the bigger thing is to you know open up the dialogue and allow that dialogue to happen and allow that you have the spiritual guidance and allow it to come through and learn to discern when it's happening and when it's not. And then at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you know their names and their names, they don't really have names anyway. They're just giving that to you because you know that helps you feel comfortable. You said something really interesting in, uh, on your website that intuition comes to you, it's calm, it's clear, and it, there's no emotional charge. And I realized exactly what you meant because it has started to happen to me recently. There's just a point comes into my head and I go that did not come from me and, exactly. and it's just there's no fanfare there's no sort of like harps playing or anything like yep. that <laughs> it just comes into your head like uh, there was some information about somebody I there's a situation at work I didn't quite understand and this little like four or five words just came into my head so I, I completely understood what you meant you're the first person to describe it like that you know that thing where for years, you are convinced that something, oh, you know, the classic one, oh, he's really going to like me, or I'm really going to get this job. I know I'm going to get this yep. job. <laughs> and, then, and then you don't get the job, or you don't, you know, the, the person that you like doesn't like you. And then somebody somewhere who always says, oh, it obviously wasn't meant to be. Right. And it always feels a bit, well, that's not very helpful. So how do we know if it's wishful thinking or our intuition? And usually if you feel a very strong attachment to a specific outcome, you know, I trust myself less. So with the example I gave before about my daughter, you know, my first child, I knew it was a girl, but also I had a slight preference for a boy first, because for whatever reason, when I was a kid growing up, I was an only child, but I had this fantasy that I had this older brother and he would like introduce me to all his friends and I would date all his friends. And I don't know. So like in my mind, I wanted to have a boy first because I thought it'd be so cool, you know, to have an older brother, whatever. And so because I had that slight preference for a boy first, I sort of trusted 
that intuition more. On my second one, I had a pretty strong sense it was a boy, but of course I had a girl and now I wanted a boy. So I didn't trust it as much. My second child is a boy, so it did work <laughs> out. But sometimes when we have those strong attachments, you know, it's harder to hear the call of your soul. It's harder to hear that intuitive knowing. And then on top of that, when it feels really revved up and really excited, and I'm sure this is the thing, and I'm sure it's going to work out, that kind of energy, it's usually your mind. Because again, your intuition is usually pretty still and calm. Because in spirit form, we're not really attached to outcomes so much. Some choices are better than others. Some outcomes, you know, we might prefer more than others. But that sort of revved up emotional energy, that's all human. And that's all mind. So your intuition, even if it's telling you, look out, something, something's about to happen that you want to avoid, it's usually super, super calm and super still. There are exceptions, but usually it's, it's neutral because that's how we exist in spirit form. And then is that how, when you have your clients, how do you teach your clients to understand the difference between their intuition or right. your wishful thinking? Right. And that place of calm, how do you find that place of stillness and calm? Because that's where intuition comes from. And it doesn't necessarily take years to find that. You know, everyone's different. For me, it was pretty quick, but it's taken me time for sure to learn to um, reliably find that calm center. And that's a hard thing, I think, for all of us to do right now. And it's often easier to get other people's wisdom for them at first. Like a lot of people, you know, can get information for other people when you're in your own stuff, that makes it harder. If I'm really revved up about something, I always, of course, consult my own guidance and ask for my own guidance, but I'm also in those moments totally open to other people that I trust. And I have my own you know, support team in human and spiritual form, but my human friends definitely will help me in those times when I'm really revved up. Because when you're really emotionally attached to something, it's just hard to hear your inner wisdom. But the more we can cultivate that clear, calm space within us, the more we can hear our inner guidance. That's where it comes from. And for many of us, it's easier than you think. It's just learning to let the mind go and to tune into a deeper place. And so you can cultivate that in many ways. For me, it was meditation, but also things like walking. I find like any kind of repetitive exercise for me, I go on long walks. And sometimes when I'm mulling over a problem, I give myself a little therapy session where I I go for a walk with my, my iPhone and I record my questions. And then I, as I'm walking, because it puts me in that nice kind of relaxed, receptive state, I'll get answers. So a lot of people find walking, running, being near water, taking a bath or a shower, all of these things, um, cooking, knitting, driving, anything that sort of gets you out of that habitual thinking pattern helps you connect with your inner wisdom. In a session with me, what often happens is there's a resonance. So because I'm able to hold that space of presence for my clients, for the most part, when I'm in a session, they start to resonate at that level too. And so practice makes perfect. As you start to experience that more and more, it becomes your new natural state. So in the context of a session, they're calm, they're alert, they're present. They start to hear what's coming through out of my mouth, but they also start to tune into their own inner wisdom but then also, you know, you take that back with you through life. And once you felt that, you can, you know, you can find it again and again. Again, it's very interesting because having had therapy, quite often what's being said doesn't really make sense. And then you kind of feel it. The penny drops and you're like, I don't really know what happened there, but I know <laughs> kind of what you just said then. Yeah. There's actually really great um, 
research. There's a technique in therapy and it's also, I think, non-therapeutic people use it too, but it's called focusing. And I think it was developed by Eugene Gendlin. And what he did is he looked at um, humanistic psychology, which was developed by Carl Rogers, which is really about the therapist sort of actively listening and reflecting back what the client was saying and helping the client sort of tune into themselves. And what he found was the people that got better from this approach were people that you could see they were tuning into themselves, going into that still space and getting their own answers. And so he developed a technique based on that to help people tap into that. But that I think is often what happens in the very best of therapy, what a therapist is doing, if they're doing it right, is they're holding the space for the client to get their answers. Sometimes therapists, you know, we think we have all this training and so we, we can step on our client's wisdom by telling them what they should think or what we think they should think. But ideally, what's happening is you're holding the space for, and this is any healing modality, you're, you're he holding the space for that client to tap into their own inner wisdom and it happens. And you're right too, to, you know, that it's not a mental thing. It's not, you know, a lot of therapy and a lot of lot of everything in this world is all about mental processes and thinking, but that's not where the wisdom is. The wisdom is in your intuition and that's really more of a felt sense. And then our minds are fantastic coming in after the fact to explain things and to communicate them. And I, I love my mind. I have worked hard on developing it, but I always think about it as being secondary to my inner wisdom because my inner wisdom is where all the gold is. Have you ever had a situation where like your inner wisdom is telling you something that's different to somebody else's inner wisdom. Oh, I love that question. Yes. And we're, and in those cases, we're both right because everybody has a different perspective and you know, your inner wisdom is telling you what's true for you in this moment of time. And that can change. And it's telling you oftentimes through your perspective or the information that you need to have right now. So yes, two people can have a completely different answer and they can both be correct. Mm hmm. And then what happens though? If I'm in a session with a client and they get a different answer than me, they win always because I never want to disempower anybody. And I always want to say, I'm going to put out there what I get. But if you get something different, you win. It's not a competition, but because really I want to empower my clients to hear their own inner guidance. And sometimes too, you know, guides can be tricky. They can sometimes purposely give false information because then, you know, that makes the client go, wait, no, that, that feels really wrong. And in that moment where they go, oh, wait, that feels really wrong. They've tapped into in a deep sense of what's right for them. It doesn't happen a lot, to be honest, but it's happened before. And I respect the process. One of the things I wanted to ask you is when somebody realizes they've got a true hurdle that they need to overcome or whether it's just a day-to-day -day hurdle. So how can you tell the difference? It's almost like a mirror reflection of the intuitive side. So a true hurdle versus a day-to-day -day hurdle. I mean, for some of us, the day-to-day -day hurdles are pretty pretty significant. It is true that the mind creates a lot of chatter and a lot of problems that if we would just tune them out and not pay attention, they would go away. Is that what you mean? Yes. So yes. I, was, I was kind of thinking that, okay, I used to go out with an A&E doctor and that's your ER. And he said okay. some people would come in the paper cut and they hadn't sort of, they thought that was serious and they had to go right. to the ER for it. Whereas other people came in with a broken leg and were didn't realize how serious it was. So right. How do you know when something needs to be really addressed and something's just, that's life? Well, part of it, again, is to use your inner wisdom and to use that inner discernment 
because again, some people are really sensitive and everything feels like a really big deal. Some people, you know, certain things are very triggering for them and other things are like, meh. Um, so knowing your inner landscape can help and sort of knowing what triggers you is, is a great place to start. And that's why, you know, I combine that counseling piece with that intuitive piece because they often line up. So sometimes just knowing where our triggers are can help us know, oh, am I just being triggered right now? Or is this a real, you know, crisis moment? But beneath that too, that place of inner, inner stillness will always tell you. And when you are really rubbed, rubbed up and upset, you're not going to hear your guidance. So the real um, task is, you know, whenever you're experiencing anything in life is the more you can go inside and tap into your inner knowing, the more you can figure out how you're being called to respond, to serve, to deal with the current situation. And hopefully you'll get wisdom and guidance about which things you need to pay attention to and which ones you don't. How do you know that you've moved through something? You know, I often see most, and it's not always this way, but for a lot of people, myself and a lot of my clients, it's sort of like peeling an onion. So, you know, when we're talking about our own inner stuff, sometimes you think you've moved something and you have, but then life gives you another way to understand it or experiencing it. So it feels like you're going back and you're working on the same stuff over and over again. But a lot of times you're actually just, you know, peeling that onion and going through deeper layers until you get to the core and then the onion is gone. Another way, um, I'm kind of hearing your question more on an intuitive level too. Another way that you know is if the problem is solved, if you have found peace in the moment through this, if it's not an issue for you anymore, that would be another way of knowing that you've let that one go. So yay. Oh, well, that gives me another question then. How do you know if you haven't actually solved a problem and you're thinking that you have? Oh, because life will keep bringing that problem back to you. Because <laughs> that's how life works, right? So it'll come back in different forms. And, you know, I look at them all as gifts and, and they might have different wrapping, but, you know, life will keep giving you those gifts until you solve the problem. And that's okay. That's how life is supposed to work. And you haven't done anything wrong because, again, each, each fresh approach at an old problem, it's different, it's unique, and it gives you just another opportunity to learn and to grow. So life will show you where you are still working. That's a job. You said something absolutely brilliant as well, which was, I've never seen this before, which was that reincarnation is not punishment. It's learning to look at things from other perspectives. Yep. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> Oftentimes, you know, I have this really cool background um, for me personally, because I wasn't really brought up with any particular religious training. So, I mean, it's different for everybody. And for some people, their religious background is their spirituality and it works beautifully for them. And I really honor that. But for me, I didn't have that. So I have been able to sort of pick and choose from different spiritual traditions without any of the attachment or heaviness or dogma because I wasn't raised in any of them. So when the word karma first started coming to me in my readings and in my work, I didn't have that... Um, attachment of karma as punishment. I know that's often how we use it. And I work with many clients who are more in like that Hindi tradition that have some more of those understandings of karma. But for me, it's, it's a neutral thing. And it's just karma means that you're working on stuff, you know, from other lifetimes and you're working on it from this fresh perspective of this lifetime and this personality, because we live as different personalities and each personality has a different perspective. And there's a kind of a karmic balancing that happens, you could get into this idea of punishment because, you know, if you say in one lifetime you are a man and you, 
you know, have a family, but you feel a calling to go do something else and, and experience your life's work and you leave your wife and your family behind and you go off and you pursue your dreams and you maybe you become a world-renowned artist, but, you know, you didn't really recognize the other thing, the responsibility that you had to your family, maybe in another lifetime, you might experience what it's like to be abandoned. And it's not a punishment. It's just that's how we understand all different human perspectives. And then after a certain point, you get to the place where you develop true compassion because you've had so many different unique experiences and that you can, you can walk in many different human shoes. And um, so that's the way that, you know, up until now we develop compassion is by having these different perspectives. So it's not a punishment. Your soul actually wants to experience all those different perspectives for its own learning and growth. Do you get this information are you getting that intuitively? Yes, ma'am. Oh, wow. Because it's really interesting. I've never heard these, uh, these perspectives. Right. Now, I believe in reincarnation since I was nine, but I've never heard that. And also, you know, like everybody else, and I always recommend this, you know, I have done reading. I have done things. Um, I'm often guided to read certain books or certain perspectives, but you always want to take what resonates with you because we're all going to have an, a unique perspective. And even as like a spiritual teacher or healer or whatever the heck it is that I do, I'm sharing what resonates and makes sense to me because there's a good chance that other people will hear it and it will awaken something in them. But, you know, at the end of the day, every spiritual teacher is saying the same darn thing. If they're doing it right, it's just, you know, what resonates with you and, and how it's explained to you. So even if you're reading a book or listening to a podcast or listening to a spiritual teacher, you know, it's all about those things that pop out for you and make sense for you and give you those moments of, wow, I never thought of it that way. That feels right. Well, that definitely feels right. Cool. And then, <laughs> I've got to ask you two, two little questions. She says, because saying they're little about reincarnation, then I'll come back to um, what you do. Is You talked about we go back, but where do we go back to? Okay. I'm going to get this question from the guides since I'm certainly not an expert well in human form. Um, the answer I'm getting is we go back to the light, right? So we go back. Yeah, that's a beautiful answer. We go back to um, the world of the formless, the world of spirit, the world for which we came. Some people understand it as, um, I'm just trying to get this from the guides because it's such a good question. Um, some people understand like heaven Heaven is that state of pure bliss, that state of pure being, and you can have that in a physical body too. It's not something you have to leave your body to experience. It's just when you connect with your true spiritual nature, you're in heaven, you're in bliss, because that's who and what you really are at your core. Um, and at some point, you know, but our spirits have, have um, differentiated from that, have broken off from that, or, or we're still part of that. But because we want to experience something different, we want to... Um, know who we are by knowing what we're not. That's, that's kind of a cool way of understanding how, how earth at least works. And also because we want to share our unique perspective on what it is to be, you know, divine, if that makes any sense. And so immediately when we die, it's my understanding that we go back to our spiritual form. But as long as we're hanging out on earth, we may still be working outside the earth realm and lessons around our earth lifetimes. We might be reviewing our earth lifetimes, we might be planning other earth lifetimes, we might be resting and recuperating and collecting our energies from, you know, what went on in an earth lifetime. So we don't go back to just pure spiritual form, formlessness necessarily, we might be souls 
still not the personality that you know now, but I, I don't know if this makes sense, but the reincarnating, per, the reincarnating part of yourself that's going through earth over and over again might be in a little bit of like a, a school kind of setting outside of their earth body. Okay. And that's the bestest way that I can explain it. Yeah. Um, and again, you have to recognize too, it's, it's hard to talk about things outside of the human realm from that human perspective because words, concepts don't really capture it. So, you know, you got to think of these things as metaphors and then figure out what resonates with you. But it's hard to capture the exact thing that's happening from our human minds because our human minds are not designed to do that. This is really uh, interesting again because you, you, well, everything you're saying, but you just said something amazing, which is, we come here to know who we are by knowing who we're not. Correct. And by that, it means that it's kind of like continually messing up with physical traits like ego, selfishness, what sort of stuff. Yes, ma'am. We have to learn that that's what doesn't, that doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. And you learn by doing because earth is an experiential realm. So a lot of times people want to, you know, sort of bypass the experiences of life and just be all spiritual and just, well, I know these spiritual truths, so I'm done. But no, earth is about the experience. So we learn by doing, we learn by experiencing things. And it's through that experience that our spirit and our consciousness expands and grows. That's the point. And we do that individually and collectively because, of course, on the highest level, we are all connected. We're all just one thing. Wow. Oh, my gosh. God, my goodness. <laughs> but, then, but then something, whenever I talk to people about reincarnation, they, you know, the cynics always say, well, then how come there are more people on the planet now than there ever were? What's your answer to that? I don't know. I'm going to ask the guides that one because I hadn't thought about that at all. My guides are saying it's not necessarily true. Um, but I know that scientifically it is true. Um, yeah, I don't really see how that, that means that there's not reincarnation. There's new souls being born all the time. And it's also a choice of how many souls incarnate at a given time. It's not like there's, you know, humans like to think there's a fixed number of things. But remember, in spiritual form, we are infinite. There's not a fixed number of anything. We're, you know, um, the divine is constantly in motion and constantly creating that's, that's what the source does. So um, there may be more spirits right now or souls right now that want to experience earth. And so there are more here right now. And that just may serve the purpose, greater purpose of the planet right now is to have more bodies on earth. Also, I think that what I'm being told too is just in terms of um, sort of the collective experience and human journey is just it's sort of almost like a baby boom, you know, where at a certain point, a bunch of people are becoming to a certain level of maturity at the same time, and therefore they all want to be here. That's amazing. Well, I mean, that obviously brings me straight on to um, the, <laughs> the virus situation. What's your, what's your take on uh, that? Uh, that is one that I'm still mulling over and experiencing and processing myself. And there's so much information out there from so many psychics and so many people. And so again, I would advise you if that's a question that, you know, listeners, if that's a question that you're interested in, again, please use your own discernment in what resonates with you. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear-based stuff out there right now. And I will tell you, no matter what's going on right now, fear doesn't serve. 
So, I mean, hold yourself. Of course, it's normal to be afraid. These are scary times, but as much as you can, don't, you know, indulge in that fear and don't go down that rabbit hole because, you know, no good will come of that. And ultimately, what many of us are here to do is to hold the space of, of love and equanimity in that energy of fear, because that actually will help transmute all those fearful energies and help us as a planet, as a collective, um, move to a, a higher plane of being, which I think we would all like to see right now on the planet Earth. But that might have been a little abstract. The way that I'm dealing personally with COVID-19 is a couple things. One, uh, I feel very called to help people um, using my intuition and, and connecting with their guidance, of course, to help them see how they're being called to learn and grow and serve from this experience. So it's pressing on everyone's nerves differently. People are having different fears, different things in their lives. Some of my clients and some of my friends are actually quite enjoying aspects of this because it's getting them to slow down and it's getting them to um, go inside, maybe spend more time with their families. So there's lots of silver linings. So I also am really encouraging people to look for those because A, it'll make you feel better. And B, because we are all connected, the more you can resonate in a difficult time from an energy of joy, not by forcing it, just by allowing it, the more it will help lighten the load. Because I think the biggest thing that's going on in the planet right now is fear. And I'm not, it's not that I'm not taking the virus seriously. Um, I certainly am and I'm practicing good practices, but I think the fear is the real problem. And it is also my understanding from my own intuition that this virus feeds on fear. So the more fearful we are, the more it will spread. So anything that you can do to get out of that energy or to soothe and hold yourself through that energy and just be kind to yourself, you know, because again, I'm not going to say that there haven't been moments that I haven't been fearful. We're all fearful right now. But if you can hold yourself and love yourself through that, that will also transform the experience rather than feeding the fear and, you know, going down that rabbit hole. That is amazing when you say that it could be, it's feeding on fear. So it's kind of a thought form that has, has come into has manifested that's kind of what i how i see it absolutely and again we know too from the law of attraction if that's something you're familiar with we attract like energy to us so again you have to be where you are and you have to be um you don't have to do anything but it behooves you to um you know allow whatever you're experiencing right now to be and to know it's perfect if it's happening for you right now and please be kind to yourself there's nothing you know, abnormal about being in a fearful state. The sooner you can shift out of that or give yourself loving and kindness through that, that that's going to help heal both you and the world. And also you're going to feel better. That's amazing. You also made a little, I don't think you noticed you did it, but when you said that you were still mulling over this virus, it goes back to the thing about intuition that it comes to you at the right time, doesn't it? It's you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Intuition is, it always involves like an act of surrender, right? Our minds, when we think we want to kind of go after things and, and control things, the expression I always use is, I got this from my kids when they were in preschool, their preschool teacher said this, you get what you get and you don't get upset. And that's sort of how it works with intuition. You're receptive, you get it, you trust that you get the information that you need, when you need it, how you need it. You don't force, you don't push, you just allow. And then it comes through and you always get what you need. It might not be what you think you want, 
but you always get what you need eventually. And um, sometimes too, again, if we have a strong attachment or a lot of fear, we might block stuff too. But again, once you set that intention to be a clear channel, you'll get it. It'll come through. Quickly going back to the bar, something that's been slightly on my mind is, you know how we're all connected in the computers and Yes, we, we talk about, oh, getting a virus and all that sort of stuff. It's almost like something in the computer world has come out into the <laughs> tangible world. Like, I don't know whether that makes any sense or you've got any views on that. The idea of contagion, the idea, you know, we saw this in the world before this, right, with um, immigrants and immigration. That's been an issue that's been big, I know, in the United States, I know in parts of Europe. That idea of being invaded, the idea of contagion, the idea of controlling our borders, boundaries, all of those things are getting activated. So you can look at it concretely, physically. Yes, there's this physical virus that is out there, but also there's a metaphor. So we can look at it metaphorically. What is it here to teach us, right? And there's also, it's coming through to share, again, from that reincarnation perspective, there's a lot of beings on this earth right now that are working through past lifetimes around contagion, around illness. So that's also happening for us. So plagues and things like that, a lot of our leaders, I'm being told right now, are kind of you know working on past life things with regard to contagion. So that's a thing as well. So you can look at this, I guess I'm saying on many different levels, from the concrete level of getting sick to all the different metaphors. And yeah, Sure, with the connectivity of computers and viruses, that's just another level of, of the same story. You, you are literally blowing my mind. <laughs> so kind. <laughs> okay, just because I don't want to keep you too long, but the, uh, my God, what you're saying, it's like everything. Oh, this is a blast. <laughs> and then you sense what people are going through. How do, you, how do you sense that? I'll tell you my process. It's different for everyone. As an empath, that's someone who can feel what other people are feeling um, so I got that one going and that's just, it's just a natural thing. Empaths need to learn boundaries and they need to learn how to, um, you know, what's theirs and what belongs to other people. Empaths just have this natural ability to sort of tune into what other people are feeling with their beautiful, compassionate hearts and be able to take on other people's perspectives. Sometimes you'll know an empath because they're the one you know, empaths and also old souls, they're the ones that we get a case in the news about, you know, the guy who murdered his wife and everyone's worried about the wife, which of course is natural and normal. And the other person's thinking, oh, but I feel bad for the, the guy that did it too. You know, those are the old soul empaths. So, so part of it is just, you know, I just can feel it. And then a lot of it too is just, again, that resonance. And I can tune into the energy field of somebody else. And, um, you know, without taking it into my body is always a good thing. And by tuning into their energy field, I can get information about them and information about what's meant to happen and what they need and, and what I need to know about them. It's important for me to say that this is for anyone with intuitive abilities. This is not something I do 24-7. But if I meet you in the grocery store, right, I'm not reading you. That's none of my business. Someone needs to ask and be in agreement with this. It's not on 24-7. That would make you nuts. But it is something that I can turn on and do for people. And again, that's my experience. And, and any, you know, anyone will tell you there's a certain sense in which I don't know how I know, I just do. One tip for anybody who is um, being drawn onto this path, what would it be? Trust yourself. Definitely trust yourself. If you feel called, if you feel joy, if you feel excitement towards awakening your intuition or doing this kind of work or exploring these kinds of 
channels trust that that's your spirit talking to you and calling you and inviting you to you know for this new adventure for me the proof was in the pudding because my life was getting better people liked me my family was like way more happy with me i was emotionally better and i was happier and you know life just kept getting better and better and better and things kept falling into place so for me it was really clear that i was on the right path that is a very good point as well it's quite extraordinary isn't it when you when you stop trying to be someone who you're not Yes. And, and then everything just starts flowing. It's literally doors just open. Exactly. <laughs> right. When we're pushing the river, right, pushing against the flow of life, you know, it feels like you're drowning. It's difficult. It's a lot of effort. When you're going with the flow of your life, your authentic self, your higher self, right, your spirit, however you want to put it, then things get easier. And then, you know, you're going the right way. You're still steering the ship. You're still in control. Human beings have free will. We're still, that's what we're here to do, but everything becomes so much less effortful, right? It just becomes easier and things start to line up. I remember as a young teen realizing, having this like epiphany um, that everything good that happened in my life just dropped in my lap. They weren't things that I like tried to do. They always just kind of happened. And I, I pulled that page over in my brain as I tried to push and make a lot of things happen through my later teen and early 20s. And, but now I've kind of gone back to that, knowing that like, you know, of course we're always being called to action. It's not just like you, you know, you lie down in, in a lounge chair and life unfolds. You know, there are, we are called to interact with our lives and do things. But, you know, if you just allow some of those miracles and those things to happen, then, you know, life will show you which actions to take. Mm -hmm. and which ones are going to, and, and, and life unfolds naturally and beautifully. Um, the other one is to stay grounded. So sometimes too, when we are being all spiritual, what we want to do is fly right out of our bodies and go into la-la land. And you are here, you are a spiritual being, but you are in physical form and you are in physical form for a reason. And especially at this period of time, presence is so important. So really being here now, being present with your life. And the idea is to take that deeper spiritual awareness and not to just fly out you know, into the ethers, but to bring it here home, into your heart, into your body, and use it you know, to inform what's happening in your life now. Wow, that's amazing. Have you got anything else you'd like to add? No, this has just been a blast. I mean, um, if people feel called, I do a podcast where I talk about these things and these kind of issues all the time. And of course, I do one-to-one -one sessions and online courses and stuff like that as well. This is a time of really strong and accelerated energies for the planet Earth. So many people are going to start to feel what was working in their life before is not working and it's time for a complete overhaul and a complete new way of doing things that's where earth is heading and so many people now will be awakening and will be starting to realize that the old ways of doing things aren't serving anymore and will have great opportunities for personal and spiritual growth my word but even if you're not called to work with me specifically, and that is okay, again, follow your inner wisdom, follow your guidance, where you feel joy, where you feel expansion, where you feel a pull that you simply cannot ignore, you know, that's where, that's where you should be following right now.